Behold! The sword of power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week we are covering Excalibur 59, Enter the Panther, in which most of our heroes enjoy a star-studded reception in Wakanda, while Kurt stays home and proves he's really good at applying lipstick. Excalibur number 59 was originally published in December 1992, and the creative team is Scott Lobdell on writing, Scott Collins on pencils, John Haldridge and Raymond Crissing on inks, Dana Mooreshead and Mike Thomas on colors, Michael Higgins on letters, and Terry Cavanaugh on editing. Welcome back for another week of griping and gushing, and I have a feeling we're going to be doing more of the first than we are the second today, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. We owe you some introductions first. I am Dr. Anna Bapard. I research and write about a lot of different things, but mostly representations of gender and sexuality in superhero comics. I've also written exactly one essay um, that I quite like about Black Panther, specifically focusing on Don McGregor and Billy Graham's Panther's Rage storyline, which is a lot better than today's comic book. (laughs) I also remain Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I can confirm, of course, my guy knows his makeup. He grew up as a circus performer. How could he not? This is a canon fact. Moving on. Mav, please reintroduce us to your excellence. Hi, my name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav. And as a black man, I would like to apologize to any of our readers of color who (laughs) might be uh, following along with the podcast and felt the need to read this issue in order to be I, i'm sorry we should have warned you last week to you know if you just wanted to skip a skip a read along for one you know this one and the next one it's fine this is bad it's offensive it, it's not even like offensively racist it's offensively racist in a you're not even doing casual racism well it's, it's, <laughs> oh, so, yeah. i mean it's, this is garbage <laughs> this is such a hot mess i mean i, I guess you could technically call this writing but anyway i am a literature scholar and teacher instructor at a couple of universities i host another show called vox popcast i i i I have nothing fun to say like i don't want to you know waste any good jokes on you know like last week i I was singing tom jones songs it was great yeah that's so good no 
this is no this is so it doesn't deserve it garbage this Mm -hmm. is so bad okay i'm done (laughs) as usual (laughs) we we will try to find some more interesting things to talk about though we are definitely going to talk about the badness of this comic i did also write a i i have also written a a black panther essay that i'm very very extremely proud of in fact it's one of my favorite things that i've ever written that we can talk about that instead of this piece of garbage absolutely (laughs) we will talk about some better black panther stories as well for comparison andrew sound off on your expertise Hello, I'm Dr. Andrew DeMann. I'm a lecturer at St. Jerome's University and project lead for the Claremont Run, uh, a big social media project on the works of famed ex-writer Chris Claremont. Um, I have not written anything on Black Panther, uh, except very briefly in my dissertation, um, talking about his origin. And I do teach, however, the Black Panther movie every year in my superhero course. And one of the things we really isolate is Afrofuturism. And that's not here at at all. But (laughs) I do have a kind of cool solution to our problem. (laughs) Which is that you know how Disney owns Marvel now? The Disney Vault is a thing, and we could start a petition <laughs> to have this put in there. <laughs> oh my God! Now, okay, wow. Before we get to our guest, I'm just gonna for the rest of the episode, I'm gonna be pondering. I have seen multiple times, and I've been pond. I've been deciding, trying to decide whether or not I want to do an article on Song of the South for years. I'm yeah. trying to decide which I like. I might actually like Song of the South better than I like this comic. <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> oh, I'll let you. I'll let you. I'll let. I, I need to like dwell on that. I, I I will let you know by the end of the episode. I think I might. <laughs> this is oh God. Oh dear. Yeah. Well, we'll check back in with you about that at the end of the episode, but. <laughs> For the meantime, let's introduce our very lucky guest who we're very lucky to have with us this week. The pod is thrilled to welcome Dr. Michael Dando. Welcome, Mike. I'm I'm glad to be here. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry no, I, I am. I'm it's uh this is great. Thank you for having me. Just a little bit about me. My name is Mike Dando. I am an assistant professor of English and education at St. Cloud State University. And um I study the intersection of pop culture and public education for democratic literacies. Um, and I look hmm. particularly at hip hop and comics, particularly, particularly at Afrofuturism and making. So this is a treat to, <laughs> to really think deeply about what it is and isn't. So thank you for having me. I also am editor on a group of, a group of comics, the Lion Man comic, and um, a couple of other comics with uh, in collaboration with John Jennings and David Brain. So shouts out to the creative team there. So that's me. Awesome. Yeah, your podcast in- instincts took over, oh, Mike, because yeah, I was going to introduce you and then you introduced yourself. But you gave it's... yourself such a wonderful introduction. Oh, yeah. I don't see and why I have I a podcast. <laughs> I do. I have a podcast called Comics School where we talk about comics and school. And, oh. and you've been and has been a part of that. So th- um, So it's Synergy. It is. It is. Anyway, that's wonderful. I want to talk about all of those things today, but we usually start with comics origin stories off the top. So let's do that. Mike, when did you first oh fall gosh. in love with comics? What got you hooked? Gosh, that's a great question. <laughs> I was bitten by a radioactive comic. I was not. Um, all my like my whole life, my my whole life. I can't remember a time where I didn't have comics. Like, and I'm a child of the '80s, so like some of my first memories are like Spider Man and his Amazing Friends, right? So, so that is an early comic memory. But I always remembered comics being about. They felt really important at the like when I was like five, but they feel really important now for different reasons, right? And so com- comics kind of grew grew up with me, or I grew up with comics, and so early on it was Spider Man and the X Men and 
I really just resonated with those stories that were the, you know, what what is it? The world outside your window, the heroes that are like dealing with. I was always worried about Peter Parker's rent, even when I was like 10. Oh. Right. Is that right? Yeah. I was like, he'll be fine. Like he, Doc Ock's <laughs> not going to kill him, but he might get evicted. And I'm really concerned about that. Yeah. Um, like, is Aunt May going to get her medicine? Like, those were the oh. things that I was really like worried about. Right. It's like, don't marry Doc Ock, Aunt May. What are you doing? Oh my God, um, that's such a good book. It's a great book, <laughs> right? But like, I was always like, I was really worried that people were being mean to the X-Men, right? Oh. Because they were different. Like one of the reasons I, I love Kurt is I was like, be nice to Kurt. He's awesome. Like <laughs> always. Like people are like, why are they being mean to him? And it didn't make any sense to me as a six-year-old. And it still doesn't, right? Like <laughs> it does like. It doesn't make any logical sense, but I understand the world through comics. Um, and it's part of the part of my my research orientation is making sense of the word and the world through the most popular things that kids do, and that's comics and hip hop. You know how many people saw <laughs> No Way Home? I think all of the people. It made all <laughs> of the money, and so like making sense of the world. I'm not the first person to do it, but that's I guess why I still read comics. Why I still know that they're important. Everybody else is kind of just catching up to stuff that we've already known for a while, that these are more than just escapist, uh, more mm -hmm. than just escapism, right? They're just from a Gramscian perspective, this is the public square, and this is how we make sense of the social contract and our responsibility and how we think about each other. And I couldn't articulate that when, when I was younger, but, but I can... So, uh, to, to some degree now yeah that's that's i guess my i guess my origin story is that i've you know i've always loved stories and stories are important and they help us like that's what we are that's what we we are stories in the end to quote um, an okay run of doctor who <laughs> Well, tell me a little bit more about that intersection of, of comics and hip hop, because that's such a fascinating okay. intersection. I mean, I like what you were just saying about, you know, them both being part of the sure. public square and that's important. But tell, tell us sure. a little bit about that specific intersection. Oh, my gosh. I'm so I'm happy to. And, and this is something I've been thinking about pretty recently is one of my one of my favorite MCs for since always is MF Doom, all caps. He He's an a, a terrific, a prolific. He was a prolific MC who wore a Doctor Doom mask. Mm. Yes, right. Just for people who who maybe are now like pausing the podcast and going to to ask <laughs> Siri. Um, my one of my favorite MCs. Period. But it goes deeper than that. It's not just like oh, well, MCs have a stage name and and superheroes have secret identities. Hip hop as an art form is about the expression of social position in terms of race, gender, class, and it is a narrative navigation of power. Does it, right? Does that make sense? Right? So it's just like when you talk about 911 is a joke, that is thinking about how power does and doesn't work and who it does and doesn't work for and why, right? Just as a just a singular example. Those are similar stories that are taken up by Miles Morales. Peter Parker. I'm just going <laughs> to, how many of the spider people are there, right? <laughs> those are similar, those are similar questions that are taken up in good issues of Excalibur. Not this one that we're going to talk about, but in, <laughs> in, in the X universe, it, it goes beyond just teaching a simple moral lesson. It's looking at how folks from a, I guess we could call it like a subaltern position, mm -hmm. navigate and understand power and how they reclaim, rework, remix, and leverage that power. I think a lot of that, about it in terms of like hip hop being a form of vibranium, 
right? So just follow me for a second. So vibranium absorbs sound. Like if you think about, if you've seen the Black Panther movie, a vibranium absorbs sound and then repurposes it. It, it, it repurposes fit like physical trauma as a way of self preservation and self-defense and agency right so like you punch black panther and it doesn't do anything mm -hmm. it absorbs it and redirects it it re it, it it refocuses and repurposes trauma which is a lot of like if you think about some of the things that uh, are taken up by by hip-hop um especially like the new kendrick lamar album that's all about rethinking and reworking and understanding trauma that's mm -hmm. what that's what that new album is about and that's what hip, that that's what hip-hop does and that's also like that's literally Bishop's power set as well. Does that make sense? Right? Yeah. It's about, it's, and so these things are operating in similar ways and who's reading these things and who's taking this in? It's youth and they're trying to figure out, um, and this is particularly salient now and I'll try to, uh, I'll try to get through it. But when we're talking about education and trauma, those are very important things to take very seriously. And so there, it's more than just, oh, hip hop is fun. Hip hop is a way to understand the world and your place in it, especially when those things are dead set against you, right? And I'm, I'm not trying to be a bummer on a podcast uh, about comics, but that's what these art forms do. That's what these art forms are for, right? I will tell you when, uh, and I was, again, the for I don't know why this goes back to my art. This goes, I guess, back to my my origin story is in 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 September two thousand one, right after September eleventh. We used to have these things called spinner racks, uh, and <laughs> right, it was in like a drugstore, like a like a Walgreens or something. And the black, you know, the the black issue, right? This mm -hmm. the, the September eleventh issue of Spider Man. I yes. couldn't not get it, right? And I hadn't bought a comic, and you know, everybody kind of takes a break, or at least I took a break. But I like I had to. I I needed spider-man at that point and it's you can you, we can make a we, we we can critique that that story i guess but the functionality of it was very important to me at the point at that time and i think it can those those art forms continue to be the way we navigate healing and trauma and self and power and culture so you asked me a really big question that I've been yeah. thinking of, <laughs> I've been thinking a lot about. So I'll stop monologuing because I feel oh, bad when I, the look at, the show. There's nothing when I, when I look at the show. When I look at this Zencaster, it's like nothing. It's just three lines and then just my waveform. So I'm going to shut up. <laughs> oh my well, God. I, well, no, I think, I think what you're doing is fascinating because I would argue that even beyond just the current moment, I'd say that connection for hip hop goes way back to. Oh, without know, question. Proto-hip proto hop days. Hip hop's born out of funk. Um, and if you look at like, George Clinton's albums, uh, the P-Funk All-Stars, uh, Parliament Funkadelic, you know, the comic tradition is massive throughout that. And then it goes on through the graffiti tradition that goes in with the early hip-hop, your Fab Five mm. Freddy's, your Africa Bambadas, right. um, right. uh, Furious Five. So I think what you're doing is fascinating there, and I think that argument holds entirely. And if you're going to talk about the way that artwork, particularly urban, and by mm -hmm. urban I mean black here, but poor black American specifically, which is what we usually mean when we're talking about the urban movement, the hip hop movement, poor black American artwork of the early 70s or late 70s, early 80s is going to be very much based in in the same way that hip hop is essentially trying to create poetry for yes. this urban youth audience. I'd say it's doing the same thing with comics and graffiti that you know you end up with a rising at that point very much an underground comics movement 
for the um, for the black comics movement. But it kind of, you know, it's it's moving in. You're you know, you have a bunch of white guys trying to do it with with your Luke Cage right. and your Black Panther. But I do think that's still important. Black Lightning. I, I've, I mean, I've met and talked to Tony Isabella quite a I mean, uh, And Tony's a great guy. I mean, but he's he understood what he was doing when he was writing Black Lightning 40 years ago, even right. though he even as a, you know, middle aged white man, he knew, well, no, but I'm trying to represent and have an appreciation for a very real culture that was he's from inner city Cleveland. So <laughs> like he, he's looking out his window and he's knowing what he's you know what he's looking at. So. Right. And one of the things that that led me to and I, I guess I, this is part of the origin of of this this work is the direct connection between and you brought up Matt, you brought up graffiti. When I think about the the rise of graffiti, when I think of folks like Ramelzy, right, or any of the you know, I think about Basquiat and Basquiat's work has superhero as a critique of superheroes but it has superheroes in it as captain america and spider-man and superman and and, and, a, and a variety so hip-hop and comics have been linked from the beginning for a variety of reasons and a variety of ways which which i'm happy to get into later where i'm actually working on a book on this so shouts out to peter lang these are things that have been connected not just aesthetically but almost ontologically or epistemologically right like the ways like we make sense of reality they are the worlds in which we live um written on the city the soundscape of the city right kids reading comics and playing in the park making hip-hop like that's what that's what that's who made hip-hop in the in the 70s right is kids and they're reading comics they're they're plunking down 20 cents at the time or whatever reading about spider-man the first hip-hop song had comics in it right when you think about rapper's delight now it's troubling and problematic um but but the wu-tang love that song <laughs> not just not just method man right but just talk, talking about swinging through your neighborhood like your friendly neighborhood spider-man like mm-hmm. that's the lingua franca of youth culture right it's just like oh i know what that is not just oh i know who spider-man is but i know what that looks like what that feels like right there's a there's a zeitgeist comic, there yeah Wu-Tang you is know what i'm saying books and kung fu that's that's what right. it is it's, bingo and, and the ODB would have said that at the time. Right. He would have, this is clearly what I'm doing. But for me, it's more than just like using comics to teach kids to read good or using rap to teach poetry. It's, mm-hmm. it is an ideological thing. It is an aesthetic thing. It is a historical thing. It's sociopolitical anthropology, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you, and I, I talk about this uh, a lot as like, well, if you're just using comics to teach verb forms, then you're driving a Ferrari at 20 miles an hour. Like you are doing, you're like technically good, right? Like that's true. You're not not driving a Ferrari. <laughs> <laughs> but man are you missing it and the same thing with rap too or, or with hip-hop if hip-hop is just rap then you yeah. are first gear well no because i'm wondering if you agree with this that uh, a lot of my problem with the way people approach this is that well we use comics to get kids into reading we'll use rap to get kids into poetry <laughs> as though it oh, were no. the beginner yeah, yeah. phrase he's like no right. yeah. uh, this is a legitimate this is a legitimate art form sure like at the end i mean literally there's four people on this you know like we've written actual scholarly articles about right. like i'm not writing about spider-man or x-men or batman in order to sort of get you to read shakespeare and right. i don't really care about shakespeare other people do that this is what i do um, <laughs> and the same right, thing exactly. you know, and like when i you know when i te- when i teach my intro to poetry classes um yes like i, I mean like uh, so when i teach freshman lit 
um, and I ask kids, what, what's your favorite poem? And they will always name, you know, someone will name a couple of Shakespeare things. They'll, they'll, someone might knew, know Gertrude Stein, but like, you right. know, there's some, there's some Robert Frost that are mentioned, sure. Walt Whitman. And then I, and then I say, well, mine is, if they have one at all. You know, a lot of kids are like, I have, I don't know any poetry. Right. And I tell them always, you know, my favorite poem is Black Still in the Hour of Chaos by, yes. and I say, by Charles Rittenauer. And who, it's a Chuck like, of public by <laughs> <laughs> And then, but see, even at this point, like, now I have to, you know, um, I'm old enough now that I have to explain who Public Enemy is because right. that's, that really yeah. is old people music. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm very old. But like, <laughs> yeah. to me, that is formative to my understanding of not only what literature is and what poetry right. is, and I would argue it it is quite possibly the greatest poem ever written, but also it's just formative to my identity as not just a black man, a black man who came of age in the late eighties, early nineties. Like, cause that, that, that really is the music that you care about is whatever you were listening to when you were 13 years old. And that's for right. me, that's the, yeah. that's this, that's, that is, that's science. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, it is. Well, I mean, my, my wife would argue it's, it's literally psychology is that's when yeah. you imprint on, on, music right. so it's so that's why you don't change your taste that much growing up and and one of the things that i want to make sure that i mentioned too in terms of the connection between comics and hip-hop and and i, I feel real bad because i feel like i'm hijacking the the pod here but like no please go ahead no, this is the <laughs> you guys to horrifying wooden masks <laughs> um, no, um but um but comics and hip-hop are they're two things that I think are, as Kendrick would say, in the DNA, right? Is it's speculative and it's aspirational in a lot of ways. Now, what do I mean by that? Like, so one of my favorite poems is It Was a Good Day. Oh, yes. Right? (laughs) That's speculative because Mm -hmm. that day does not exist. And he's not like telling you about the actual day i i would like their studies like which day was it what was it no 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 it was not (laughs) this was not a day he's actually he's actually referred to it i I think he was asked at one point i think he's like he's like when was the good day and he was like tuesday what do you want what do you want yeah exactly exactly he's like look that's not the point you're missing the point the the point is if I could live in listeners who don't know. Yes. Yes. yes, I apologize. I apologize. Ice cube. Um, And so he's telling you about his idea, like his ideal day. He, he, this, that is a spec. That's the same thing that Sun Ra was doing. That's the same thing that George Clinton was doing. That's the same thing that Langston Hughes was doing was this idea of what the, what utopian visions are. Mm -hmm. Now in his version, he just messed around and had a triple double, (laughs) but that's not the point. The point is that no one got, no one I know got shot. Yes. Right? I didn't even have to use my AK. Damn right, it was a good day. Right, right. Damn right, it was a good day. That's speculative and aspirational. And also, he's telling us from the pe- – he's saying it was a good day without getting too goofy here. That's past tense. So mm-hmm. he's imagining forward and telling backwards. That's speculative. Um, and that's in the Afrofuturist tradition really sp- as well. Like Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. yeah. It's it's using the past to inform the present to dream about the future. <laughs> and that's Afrofuturism, not spaceships. It is not not spaceships, yeah, yeah. but yeah, why true. is George Clinton on a spaceship? Because <laughs> this place sucks. That's the same yeah. thing. Like that's Derek Bell, right? Like, <laughs> um, so I, I I know um, I know I went a lot of places there, but this idea is uh, comics are aspirational. What would you do with power? How would you handle it responsibly? Right? Why are kids asking that questions? Because they see that adults aren't. No wars have been started by children, right? Oh, wow. Okay. okay. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, like, yeah, okay. They, but, but they've all seen grownups 
do it. And like, what are you, what are you doing? Like when I think about the civil rights movement, it was the children's crusade. Mm -hmm. The children stood up. When I think about hip hop, it was the children that changed. I mean, hip hop is the most create. It is the most widely consumed cultural form of music and like in the globe. Kids made that. Adults appropriated it, but kids mm-hmm. made it. You know what I'm saying? Kids made comics. Stan Lee was about ready to quit, and he's like, "Just f it. I'll just here's Spider Man. He's a kid. What superheroes <laughs> can't be kids? Yeah, well, I almost quit anyway. You know what I'm saying? Like, Amazing Fantasy was gonna be over. <laughs> he's like, screw it. He's a kid. That's what aspirational is, right? Yeah. The world may mock Peter Parker, timid teenager. It'll soon marvel at the awesome might of Spider-Man, right? That's, it will soon marvel, like, right? Like we think about Mm. the future. What's the future going to hold? The future holds that I'm still going to be here. That's Afrofuturism. So the the, the big thing is I study Afrofuturism, not just because, and this is kind of one of the things I've been talking about is, you know, like Stuart Hall is talking about is like, I don't really care about pop culture except for how it helps me understand the navigation of power, Mm, right? Like that's how we do it. That's how it's always been done. (laughs) <laughs> it's how we've always done it, right? Like like Robin Hood or King Arthur or mm-hmm. whatever. That's <laughs> Mount Olympus is like, well, where do the gods live? Uh, high up. Where's the highest part? The mountain is in the clouds, <laughs> right? Like someplace you can't get to. Very right? Panopticon. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. They can see you. I can't see them. Yeah, that's the point. <laughs> So yeah, so so speculative and, and aspirational are two of the things that that link, I think, comics and hip hop together. And then kids owning their own voice and creating their own language, right? The idea of the word thwip becomes different once it's engaged in comics. We create an entire language around DJing, right? Like scratch, backspin, flip, right? Like those types of things. So I'm a, again, I'm talking a lot and I'm going to stop now. Oh no, I'm, I'm like enjoying this. I'm enjoying listening so to this conversation so much, so which is already, which is already made like the chore of having to talk a little bit about this comic so much better. I like this yeah, is I'm just why thinking, I'm so mad at this comic though, Anna. Yeah, I know, I know. I mean, we all are. When you get the wonderful concept of Black Panther's Afrofuturism, and this is what you choose to do with it, it's it's a lot. But I love what you're saying about. It's gonna take you what thirty seconds, so you know. I know. Um, <laughs> I love what you're saying about power, though, because it really gets back to something that I'm always sort of fighting for in analysis of the superhero genre, which is that for so long, it's been thought of as reductive in terms of power. Yes. You know, It's a quote unquote, mm-hmm. adolescent male power fantasy. But even that is a complicated thing. And besides which, the thing that drew me to the genre was the fact that it actually has such interesting and complex representations of power. And especially because power means very differently, depending Agreed. on who's reading, right? Yes. I mean, yes. why shouldn't I... I have like a fantasy of being strong and powerful and impenetrable as a woman Mm -hmm. in society, as a girl in society. And that's different, right? And that has a lot of appeal for anybody that's sort of disenfranchised and minoritized. And yeah, I really love what you're saying about it being a space to interrogate different meanings of power, because that's something that's always drawn me to the genre. Definitely. Yes. I'm working with, I, I, I do a comics, a speculative comics project this this research project i'm working on and just yesterday we were talking about developing characters right thinking about heroes and um and heroism and and doing just basic character design sketches and uh i think probably a fourth grader elementary school kid said well i think i want my hero to take all of the burdens of her community and absorb them into herself and then be able to create flowers with them oh wow (laughs) adorable 
reader, when I tell you that I had to take a minute because that genius came out of this kid, I was like, it's still here. The magic is still here. She knows what she wants to do. She knows. What, like, that's power. I can take these things and make something beautiful out of them. That's power. And it's navigated differently because this is a young girl of color who just wants everyone to have flowers. That's powerful. That's radical in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those that's fantasies good writing, of transformation. Actually, yeah. yeah, right. <laughs> that, that, that's a really inventive power set. I like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? She's like, she makes flowers. She's like, not lasers, not anything. Flowers. Flowers. They smell pain. good, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. It's like awesome. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Can you imagine like Magneto coming down, like dropping a building, and she's like, that's flowers yep. now. Flowers. That's daisies. <laughs> awesome. I, I would so much rather be reading that comic book than the one that we have at hand, but um. <laughs> Let's do an issue summary. We'll talk a little bit more about Black Panther and Afrofuturism. And because we keep talking about this comic being bad, but we will articulate some of the specific reasons why. Uh, um, But yeah, let's do that issue summary first and we'll come right back to it. I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We totally steal away on your private jet because why wouldn't you let us come with you anyway? You're being a jerk, Brian. But as always, let's start today's diplomatic mission with a plot summary. Excalibur number 59 opens in Wakanda, where Kitty, having stowed away, on Brian's private jet is sunbathing with her bestie Lockheed. A shadowed figure secretly watches Kitty and her dragon cavorting on the beach but decides to let them live. Elsewhere, we catch up with Brian and Megan wearing a strange mix of dinnerware and sexy safari couture, standing on the edge of a volcano surrounded by Wakandans in quote-unquote traditional garb performing some sort of ceremony. A figure emerges from the volcano who is, of course, none other than Chala, aka the Black Panther ruler of Wakanda. T'Challa greets Brian and Megan, thanking Brian for coming in his brother Jamie's stead, which is super weird and we will talk about that. T'Challa mm-hmm. takes Brian and Megan down into the volcano, which turns out to be a home for a large futuristic laboratory. He explains he was working with Braddock Industries on an invention that would change Wakanda forever. It's a momentous occasion, which is why T'Challa has also invited Iron Man and Captain America. Meanwhile, back in England, Cerise chokes on her lipstick and Kurt helps her fix it. They're spending a night at the opera. <laughs> Cerise cries during the opening scenes and Kurt doesn't have the heart to tell her the story as a comedy. During an intermission, a waiter brings Kurt and Cerise some drinks from a man in another balcony, an arms dealer named Raleigh Chamberlain. As Chamberlain toasts Kurt and Cerise, a strange blast knocks his date off the balcony. Kurt saves her, then confronts a guy on a kind of metal hover horse calling himself Knight Errant. The Knight Errant orders Chamberlain to leave England. Cerise and Nightcrawler decide to investigate. Back in Wakanda, a celebratory banquet is underway. T'Challa explains that with the backing of Tony Stark and Braddock Industries, we've built a containment unit out of vibranium designed to safely house waste that can't be otherwise disposed. Suddenly, one of the servers falls to the ground and begins to scream with pain while grabbing her head. Before you can say body horror, all of the Wakandans at the party save T'Challa are transformed into wooden-headed replicas of a ceremonial dancer seen earlier. Their leader, Dr. Mbaya, announces the wooden-headed warriors are the embodiment of the Wakandan people. His new name is Icon and he controls the warriors. He tells T'Challa to abdicate the throne or else. T'Challa, thinking Megan and Brian are civilians, sticks them in a vibranium containment unit to keep them safe. They can't escape on their own, but luckily, Kitty emerges from the ground to help out. We end with Kitty, Iron Man, Captain America, and Megan, shapeshifted into a black lady. We'll talk about that a little bit more next issue. Announcing they are new Excalibur and attacking the wooden-headed warriors. Okay, so... 
this is a racist comic book. We've all mentioned this already. Um, I'll kick it to you first, though, Mike, for some some rapid fire first impressions. We'll just pass. go through. <laughs> you, you, you just want to pass on this one? Well, um, maybe like what was the thing that bugged you the most about this comic? Maybe maybe that's a way to narrow it down. Reading, reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The the everything. Um, yeah. I will say that, and and I wasn't surprised what is it disappointed but unsurprised yeah yes. um because i'm li- i'm literally i'm looking at fantastic four right now and and v- this is great audio um i'm looking at fantastic four number 53 <laughs> and the first page is a some kind of ceremonial dance it's called the the friendship dance the mm-hmm. dance sorry the dance of friendship we haven't got much past that yeah um and so it's not intent, right? You know I'd what argue I mean? we've it's gone not... backwards. I'd argue. Yeah, no, I, no, I would agree. I, yeah, yeah. I was trying to be nice because I'm a guest. I was trying to make it weird, but like, <laughs> no, but like, and so it's not intent, right? That's the that that that's not the thing. It's impact, and it's how to, how is it furthering what I would argue are dangerous stereotypes? Um, yeah. In in terms, especially in the '90s, we're talking about the '90s, right? Yeah, this is 1992. This is December of 1992. Right? This right. is almost 93. I remember this distinctly. I'm in college by the right. time this comes out. So, so, you know, this is the golden age of hip hop. And I'm just going to try and give us a little bit of synergy here, right? This is, yeah. in some ways, you've got Tribe Called Quest. Absolutely. You've got the brand newbie. Like, you've got a whole bunch of <laughs> Queen Latifah, Biggie, Tupac. Um, Fresh Prince of Bel Air is the number Fresh one. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right. right and, so, and so you've got all of this representation out there. And then this? Yep. What are we doing? What are we doing? It's like, oh, well, you know, Africa has volcanoes and tribal masks. I hate everything about this comic. Um, <laughs> uh, ex- nope, I was going to say except, and I tried to figure out something. It bugged me. That, it bugged me that T'Challa was working with Brat with Braddock Industries. Oh boy, yeah. To do anything. Mm-hmm. Under Which Jamie. When does Wakanda? Under Jamie. Under yeah, let, let, Jamie. Right. Like let's so, just let's let's backtrack just a second for our yeah, listeners. Sorry, yeah. So as as you'll recall, so uh, Jamie Brian's brother was presented as an analog for Mark Thatcher in an earlier issue that was sort of an allegory for apartheid. So the idea mm-hmm. that Jamie unambiguously, unambiguously, yeah, no, unambiguously it was very And Squint, you can see it. No. <laughs> No, it no. was very obvious. So the idea that Jamie would be working with the Wakandans and just spoiler for next issue, it is not questioned. It is nope. very, very strange in this story and offensive, deeply, deeply offensive. Right. And like they're in a volcano is like, let's sacrifice it to a volcano. It's like, well, actually, it's a lab under the volcano. Oh, it's like, so bad. oh, my God. What? What are you doing? All of the things are bad here. So I'll stop. That's what I didn't like about yeah. this story. Yeah, and we're gonna do we're gonna do some more Black Panther history, I think, on the next episode as well. But just like to situate us, so that original introduction of Black Panther had many similar things to this story about that uh, thing that they often do, where it's like, oh, it seems like it's the quote unquote primitive, quote unquote uncivilized jungle, right. but actually it's full of all these technologically futurist things. And except where it's not here, 
It's just yeah, I know. That's that's the problem, right. right? That's why. That's I mean, I get that's why you're saying it's a step backwards, right? Because you know, in the yeah. '60s Fantastic Four comics, I mean, it was heavy-handed and problematic there, but you could at least mm-hmm. see an attempt to subvert something. It wasn't done well, but you could see the attempt, and this it isn't was, even that. It was done fine for two Jewish guys from yeah, you right. know in 1965. Yeah. Okay, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. from the, from, from the perspective do. of who never left nothing. New York. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> From this, from the perspective of all due respect, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Joseph Conrad, from nothing they did pretty good. This is now a generation later, <laughs> thirty years, right? <laughs> so it's like, what? Oh, that's why I said when it went backwards, I was like, yeah, no, I don't disagree. Yeah, because yeah. it's not subversive. It's yeah. it's tropey and bad. Yeah, there's actually a specific trope that it's falling into called techno cannibalism. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. It, it's very complicated and it's very British actually. So maybe on point for Excalibur, but um, the idea has a lot to do with um, foreign aid. Basically the, the theory by Jan Peters is that British people um, were really annoyed that foreign aid was going to Africa instead of being used domestically. So in order to satisfy that sort of growing civic resentment, there was an entire genre of like propaganda comics, which would portray African people taking that foreign aid and using it to do primitive stuff. So the idea would be that, you know, you'd spend all this money to buy a technologically advanced toaster and you'd still cannibalize people in it. Um, And we've got that happening here in a really, Mm -hmm. really big way, as everyone's mentioned, like the technology is advanced, but the second and third tier ramifications of having that kind of technology and power are not explored in the slightest. It's just, I I made a technological volcano. Okay. Why? Because technological (laughs) volcano. You know what I mean? Uh, and the theory of Peters it's Africa is that and they're volcanoes. Yeah. Ugh. And the theory of Peters is that what this does is it ultimately reifies the notion yes. that this sort of um, primitive perspective on African tribal practices and particularly the stereotypes surrounding uh, the British perspective of the African continent are reified and justified. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, it, it's very condescending, which is appropriate for a very condescending comic book. Well, yeah, but definitely not intentional since it's not questioned at all. I, yeah. Well, I think it is intentional. I think well, and that's yeah, my intentional problem. in the bad way. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. I, okay. <laughs> Deep breath. <laughs> all right. I mean, I know it seems, sounds like I'm hard on Labdell all the time. The last two issues, I was in. I was very intentionally going. No, I think this is pretty good for him. I mean, I, I don't think they're perfect comics, but I liked what he did. I said it wasn't my favorite version of how he write how he writes Scott, but I understand who he was doing. And I thought he did something interesting with the Scott Kurt relationship. Um, mm-hmm. The last couple of issues, there there were things to do here. I want to quote from this book: Take the villagers who greeted you with a traditional African ceremony. They represent a group of people. Uh, a group of my people who would like nothing more than to return Wakanda to then than for Wakanda return to its old ways. As mm-hmm. a leader of the empire of the entire country, however, I have the responsibility to keep Wakanda competitive with the other major countries of the world, both technologically and financially. But enough with the burdens of leadership. You know what? Fuck you entirely. Okay, and that, and that, and, and like, like seriously, yep. Oh my God! Like literally reading this, I'm just like, what are you even talking about? Because yes, when Dan and Jack wrote the original appearances of the Panther, right? They were going for, they were comparing things to Burroughs Tarzan. We'll talk more about that next episode, right? Like that's what that's what they were doing. Labdell's not comparing himself to Burroughs Tarzan. Labdell is comparing himself to Jack and Stan comics. 
he knows mm. that yes. there is a technological like even if he knows nothing about Afrofuturism, if he's done no homework outside of comics, this is not the Black Panther who had been mm-hmm. appearing in comics for yeah. thirty mm-hmm. years at this back. point. Yeah. It is a complete misunderstanding of that character. We've talked on previous episodes. Labdell really, really, really wants Brian to be leader of Excalibur. Unironic. Mm-hmm. Like Labdell sees Brian and says that's what a hero should be. So he has Megan as a moron here. She's not yep. even just like naive. She's a simpleton. You yep. know, they're going to virgin sacrifice me. She's worried about being vir- virginly sacrificed. This is the woman who, again, <laughs> not that I'm saying Megan's a That's so right. Oh, walk, throw that Megan in, in Volcano. Into, yeah. Megan walks yes. into other worlds and it's like, hey, look, there's weird alien fairies. Let's go dance with them. She has no fears yeah. of anything, but these people are a little scary because they're kind of black, even though I have no cultural reference of what that is. She's okay with gypsies you know like or or you know because as they called the romani like literally everything about megan is if anything she is accepting to the point of naivety she's right. not afraid of people because they're kind of the wrong skin color she has a crush on nightcrawler who is blue okay like nothing about this makes sense why is kitty stowing away you made the joke because you know brian was too much of a dick to take her no because he wanted the neat he wanted to have the cool joke of look she's stowed away so kitty pride genius you know 15 year old 16 year old has decided to stow away into a country a sovereign nation without you know without documents so she's just committed you know an international felony why is brian (laughs) even have a secret why does why does brian even have a secret identity from t'challa he doesn't have like brian tells who people who tells people who he is all the time he was flying around new york in a tracksuit you know like like he doesn't care oh my god yes Megan is like, you know, like, oh, I just want Megan to be in this hot. Like, why is she? Megan doesn't wear a mask even. That's right. No, she's like, we're going to put her in this costume and costume. But I mean, the costume of, you know, this is my assistant. Why? Just say it's your girlfriend. Like, what is she assisting? If you are in a secret identity, you say, oh, okay, I came here to check this out. Can I introduce you to my girlfriend, Megan? That's what people say. That's a normal thing people say. They don't pretend (laughs) like, like nothing about this makes sense, except that like, these are the tropes that he's decided to do. And that's just before I get to the ridiculously racist portrayal of T'Challa and even Rhodey. Like, yes, like, yeah. like Rhodey is treated like a absolute simpleton in this and the next issue. And in a way that is not even like, I don't believe that he did the research of reading the script where Iron Man was. And the reason I know this was because I was so offended by this issue that I went back and I read the six issue arc oh, that boy. is happening in Iron Man right now. Me too! Yes! Rhodey is awesome. in, okay, in charge of Star, uh, Stark Industries right of now. Stark because Industries. Tony, because Tony is currently dead. He's not, but everybody believes that Tony is dead. Tony has faked his death. Rhodey believes it, but like this comic leads you to believe that like he's just kind of taking a break. Tony's like, I'm just, f-. Rhodey says in this book, oh, I'm just filling in. Captain America is like, oh, maybe mm. it is. Maybe it's not Tony after all. So, no, they have no reason to believe that it's Tony because they saw Rhodey cremate him. This was a whole art. <laughs> nothing of this, nothing of this makes sense. And Rhodey is not an idiot. Like in this issue, and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna dwell on it next issue because I know I'm gonna have way more. Next issue, <laughs> Rhodey barely knows how the armor works. Like yeah, really Kitty cool. helps. It, like so yep. much of this is just offensively bad when can this even happen because of what everything Rhodey's going through because Rhodey's only Iron Man on this arc for like 
you know, six issues, but a period of probably two weeks. He doesn't have time for this trip. Like none of this makes sense. It's just that this is the story Labdell decided he wanted to do a Captain Britain hero story where he can be a white savior and come in here and mm -hmm. it's like, oh, I'm going to bring technology to you primitives. And I'm going to, why is Wakanda relying on Braddock Industries or Stark Industries for technology? It's Bingo. the, it is the most, it's supposed to be in comics canon at this time. It's supposed to be the most technologically country on the on the planet. They don't mm -hmm. need Braddock money. And here, so there's one thing that just really sells everything about this for me. There's a joke on page 12. Not a joke. It's, it's just a caption. When you first pan over to Nightcrawler and Cerise, at that moment in another hemisphere, the one which plays host to the country of England. Okay. Wakanda's been in various places in Africa over the course of its 35-year history. Mm -hmm. At no point from the 60s till 2022 right now has it ever been in the Southern Hemisphere. It's always in Thank the same you. Northern and Southern Hemisphere. It's always in the Northern Hemisphere. It's in Northern Africa over by, uh, it's, it's coastal for one point, Northeast Africa. Then it moves a little over by Niger, and then it moves over by Ethiopia. But it's always above the equator. It's relevant to Wakandan history. It's also, obviously, you know, it's not in America. So what do you mean in another hemisphere? It's not. It's in the same hemisphere. It's like, a, you know, <laughs> from London to Nigeria is like a three-day drive. So you're not just kind of going there. But, like, if you're American, it takes about as long to drive from London to Nigeria as it would to drive across the United States. That's the distance we're talking about. This is not the other side of the world. Read a book. <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally just read any book even if it's just it's an atlas so, <laughs> right yes this is the bare minimum amount of research to like but like i mean scott labdell's joy has always been he's he's not like he doesn't miss deadlines he gets a comic out but like yeah it's really easy to meet a deadline if you just don't bother to write anything these are just words that are meaningless there are two pages of plot maybe three within this entire two issue arc like yeah. nothing of, the, of this makes sense. It's just nonsense and offensively bad. He also misses his character continuity. Um, at, at this point, Megan has been in maybe seventy comics, uh, mm -hmm. like like total. Uh, and the title of one of those comics was African Nightmare uh, in Captain Britain. She has been so to she's Africa. Been there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he specifically references that she hasn't before. There's just so many other things we could say, like about this comic. I mean, like I just kept thinking about the way it reminded me of the Marvel swimsuit issue set in Wakanda, which does oh a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in terms of just well, that of, intro, right? That opening. Splash. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's like very similar. The intro with Kitty in the bathing suit, really reminiscent of images from that. It came out the same year, I think. I think that was 92. Um, it's the one with Storm on the front. But yeah, just in terms of like, you have these people going over to Wakanda and they're really just like treating it as an exotic locale in which to have colonialist sexy fantasies. And we really see that happening in the next issue too, because it's like Brian and Megan are dressing up in colonial roles as like a date and like yeah. it's so oh, creepy yeah, yeah. and weird and oh just ugh. but but the outfits are like it's colonialism it's not 1992 colonialism they look like they're on you know a, a teddy roosevelt safari i know <laughs> like, like, like right. they're, they're they're that far they're like a hundred years out of date 
like, but like to so be fair, weird. that's something that like you know Vogue fashion shoots keep going back to, and every keep time I freaking see that, to. I just I'm like, how how fashion industry stop? Because you know, still we get. I mean, I'm sure I saw one last year, one of those photo shoots of people in safari garb, you know, white people like leaning on an elephant or something like that, and it's just like I again, I'm not surprised. But it is still just like, it's a lot. It's especially a lot when you think about the way that Black Panther has sort of been rewritten in the 21st century to be such a more important cultural figure than he was at certain points in comics history. Just to look back on this and like realize that this is where the character was at this point is it's sad. That's it's right. just sad. And I think it's, at least for me, it's interesting because this is right, is it right before Chris Priest takes before, over? Before, before. Right, just like a couple years before, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea of, I, I think it's important to to situate this kind of, I guess historically in that one of the, one of the arguments I make when I'm talking about in, in my classes about Afrofuturism is the future matters, but it's also important to understand that just putting spaceships and the future in things doesn't mean you're actually engaging in speculation. And mm -hmm. one of the things I talk about is Captain Kirk. Does this stick with me for a second? So Roddenberry is writing Wagon Train to the Stars. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> By his definition. No, no, By that's his what definition. he called it. No, that's not, that's like, not a joke. He called it. Title. Yeah, that's what he called I'm it. I'm not yeah. making that up. Yeah. He did it. He was like, it's like Wagon Train, but in space. Yeah, but in space. Yeah, yeah, that's and, and with Kirk, he bases Kirk on her, on Horatio Hornblower, right? <laughs> so you've got a 19th century understanding of like white masculine heroism in the 23rd you know, 20 millionth century, right? So the idea is it's like, it's in space, but it's still engaging in turn of the century colonialism, right? And so when we see like, <laughs> we should, I'm relatively unsurprised when I see, oh yeah, you guys are just literally, Ulysses Claw was wearing a pith helmet yep. in, in, in the 60s, right? So at least they were like, this is representing colonialism. Like they were like pointing at it. This is just engaging in it, in, in these, yeah. we, you keep coming back to it it's so just like it's technologically advanced but <laughs> you know asterisk disclaimer it's not advanced advanced We're, there's still more advanced peoples out there new like civilizations brian Braddock. yeah like brian brian, Braddock precisely right and so like issue two is just like they are not the ordinary native tribe they seem to be. Like Wyatt Wingfoot, the, what is it? The Poochie of the Fantastic Four. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. Slings on Wyatt. Wow. <laughs> I said what I said. Um, but like. I prefer, um, prefer She-Hulk's boyfriend, Wyatt Wingfoot. I, you, yes, you know I, what? I actually like enough. him as Jack's boyfriend a lot. Yes. Fair enough. That, that's fair enough. <laughs> I didn't realize I touched such a nerve. Um, <laughs> no, 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 it's fine. Because uh, you're not entirely wrong. <laughs> I, I stand by it. Um, you know, he's, he's sitting there with his arms crossed going, wow, I'm, boy, am I surprised. My enlightened self. Am I surprised that they are not what they seem to be? And in the 60s, like, okay, cool. I see what you're doing. But how, why is Brian Braddock doing it in the 90s? Do you know what I mean? Like, he shouldn't mm -hmm. be, but he is. He's like, oh, don't worry. They're not going to eat you, Megan. Well, of course they're not going to eat you, you racist. I know. Also, maybe because she's one of the most powerful people on the planet. Right, exactly. you know, you'll probably be fine. <laughs> but you can't, and also, you'll be fine. You right. fought the juggernaut. <laughs> you know? Like, you're right. going to be okay. Right. But, but the fact that he's like, oh, 
I'm the rational one, right? Like he's being positioned again as this like paragon of objectivity and rationality, right? This real enlightenment, yeah. like I think, therefore I I'm am. Don't worry, I, I'm a thinking person, and I'm I'm going to ver I'm going to validate, or what you, you said, uh, I think Andrew said, like I'm going to reify their, I'm going to vouch for them, I'm going to reify their civilization uh, or their uh, their humanness through my own enlightenment and rationality. Does that make does that make sense like Wyatt has to vouch for him, Braddock has to vouch for him so that what we can also be comfortable with it, right? Does that like it's just a mess. It's a mess. Well, let's mm -hmm. let's talk about mm -hmm. the plot element of it, which is, is plot? So this I didn't is, notice. Well, yeah, the <laughs> let's talk about the the ceremonial warriors and the villain and okay, so that there's a plot's doing a lot of work. I know. There's there's a history of this plot in Black Panther comics where there's often a competing sort of figure in his world who wants to take Wakanda back to a quote-unquote original state of being. And you saw this with the original kind of like man-ape stories uh, back in the 60s and into the 70s. That was usually kind of his thing. And, you know, a lot of obvious problems with it having to do with... <laughs> race and de-evolution <laughs> and monkeys and uh, anyway oh. i wrote about that one time you can go read it um <laughs> but so we kind of have a repeat of that plot here and i don't even know what we want to say about it that's not already obvious but why is this plot a problem in this story who wants to take a stab at doing a comic school about that it's a problem because not only Okay, not only had the world moved past it, again, this is 1992, we are on the cusp of actually ending apartheid in South Africa. Not right. quite there, but we're close, okay? It is, a, it is an issue that the world cares about. And this is a book where the polite way of putting it is I think Labdell thinks he's doing a good job. He's trying to present Brian as enlightened because he's willing to work with these primitives. Like that's right. his view of it. Yeah. Like right. the, the idea of it is like Brian's not trying to be a savior per se, even though he sort of is. Like he he is because Scott Labdell doesn't know how colonialism or in white saviors work. So like, but uh, but he's not trying to intentionally make Brian a savior. He's trying to make Brian enlightened. And uh, you know, I don't even care about their race. I just see good opportunity here. Good opportunity here. The man's an Avenger. He is so much more important than you are. And yeah, and like, <laughs> thank and, you. And and not like a. And I don't mean that in a insulting kind of way. I mean narratively, Brian knows that. <laughs> Brian looks. Yeah. Yeah. In universe, Brian looks up to Spider Man. Okay. He knows, he's aware that Black Panther is an Avenger. He says so in this book. Oh my God, we've got three Avengers here. Yeah, so what are you even doing, right? Like, like, like <laughs> you're the third most important person at best. <laughs> and honestly, arguably the fifth most important person. But like, on your best day, you're the third most important person on a British superhero team, and you're the only actual British person. Like, <laughs> like nothing about this makes sense because like Brian's motivations are weird. So what it becomes is it it becomes this apologetic look at, at colonialism. Yeah. It's trying to the problem with colonialism in or late era colonialism. This is the stuff that usually is written in the 21st century is um there's a lot of british colonialism especially uh there's a there's a lot of work that goes into not the apartheid thing the apartheid thing in south africa which i've written about you know, i'm 
like Anna said, go read my essay. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not going to rehash that here. Apartheid usually goes into this is the natural way of doing things, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, mm-hmm. pure racism. You know, the, you know, we we shouldn't be mixing the races because the British colonialism phase is usually no, it's good. I'm doing this for their own good. I have brought culture. I have brought the British ways to these to these savages to these primitives, which is a take. But honestly, okay, it's racist and problematic to start with. And then I cannot say this enough. It's written badly here for the racist and problematic take. Like I've seen it done so much better because everybody's so out of character. It comes across as lame, even in an attempt to say we have brought culture to people. It's all, the other. It's usually either culture or it's Christianity. We've brought Christianity mm. to the primitives, mm-hmm. or we've brought culture to the primitives. And even in as much as trying to do that, it comes across as ham-fisted and lame because the reader like literally everyone involved in this comic except for the people who created it know who black panther is <laughs> right and so that's weird <laughs> i mean it ties in with the story that we get here too because there's this idea that we're not supposed to be afraid of these people because look they're not primitive they're technologically sophisticated just like us but turns out actually the threat of the primitive is very present and and they are can, primitive, right? yeah can't, right yeah like these are the i mean the entire thing is like black panther i mean i guess this is supposed to excuse it because he's like well these are the people in my nation who want to go back to the old ways as though they're just kind of wandering or i mean that that surmises that like there are people in america who you know the people of colonial williamsburg are just really trying to force everyone to live with muskets that's not what happens like even <laughs> even oh, like no. separatist like even things like uh, I'm, I'm thinking like you know like like mennonites that's not what they're doing yeah but like i mean also saying that the colonial paranoid fantasy of who quote people in africa are that's right end quote yeah is like legitimized yes. by the idea that that is our originary state and we've been elevated out of that by having these business partnerships with colonizers it's just like it's a lot yeah, even if you yeah even if you like it you know, it's just it's just like again and even if you want to do that storyline it's so badly written and i'm i'm interested because this plot is as you said it's paper thin i wonder if we can speculate like the the what if right so kurt what how is this different in your mind as the pr as the official pr person like okay so unofficial, let's official unofficial 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 <laughs> i apologize I, I look forward to your letters and lawsuits everyone um <laughs> but, but like if kurt's there in wakanda how does this story change do you know what i mean like because he's great but like i think it changed i think it changes but i'm interested to like I, I think i think it would change if kurt was there i don't know i think with lobdell writing we had we no, had... no, no, no. <laughs> right well that's i guess that's true if and he wasn't us... writing it if we had a different writer how would this be different and it just admittedly because we have talked about this on the pod before sure. nightcrawler has been known to engage in problematic colonialist fantasies right. on several occasions yep. so yeah. he's not necessarily immune to that but Liddell would never write one for him because Liddell would much rather write Brian. He's he That's wants right. this to be about Brian. Yeah. Well, and yeah, other- but I mean, he he did also write like a Nightcrawler Tarzan story and Excalibur yeah. thirty one. So we have done That's that true. already. The yeah. the other thing I the other thing I noted was that well, there's a bunch of things that are 
problematic, but this idea of scary militant black people, mm-hmm. right? This is like, well, they want to, they're uncompromising and unset. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, cause you can read it in one way and just be like, oh, well, this is like the way we never were. And they want to take us back to the uncivilized, right? So it's engaging in these tropes of like colonial fears of what, what, what was it? Like their faces are in their torsos, right? Just like all kinds of misrepresentation and, and being scared of, <laughs> scared of black and brown bodies. But then also that Lobdell decides to then engage in body horror on top of everything else. It's like, not only that, now they're actual monsters, right? Like he disfigures everyone but D'Challa. And I think that is, yeah, it's problematic, but I think like we need to note, we need to note that. Or I need to have said, like, not only does he go in and engage in these things, but then he, like, commits narrative violence on them. <laughs> yeah. Right? For the sake of, for the sake of, of, of the Braddock. And, like, save the white people, especially Megan, who doesn't yeah. need saving. But, like, put them, put them in this protective bubble. That precious blonde virgin, Megan. Right? <laughs> but, but that's, again, engaging in this, like... I mean, it's not just lazy writing. It is lazy writing, but it's not just lazy writing. It's engaging. It's drawing from this colonial perspective of like the inhuman incontinent. Mm-hmm. Not, not I, <laughs> the story itself is incontinent, but what I mean is in <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in, in that it's crafty. But yeah, I, I felt like we had gone too far, too long without a poop joke. No, no, but good. like that's good. That's good. But but. <laughs> But within, like, the scariness of the other Africa is like, see, we told you, look, they're monsters. Yeah, and right? I, mean, I'm, I'm, I have, like, page 21 open in front of me and thinking about the bottom of that page. And it's all of the transformed Wakandans in yep. silhouette. And they're just reduced to pitch blackness with, you know, yes. glowing yellow eyes. Mm-hmm. And just think about the way that they're simplified into pitch blackness there. Right. And that's the ultimate threat, right? And that's kind of imagery uh-huh. that you might just mm-hmm. see in a superhero comic in general but you can't divorce it from the cultural context that's bound up in a story like this. And the fact that that imagery is, you know, in conversation with all these tropes that we've talked about. And I think the problem is, you know, there's so many problems, but I mean, one of the problems is when you're lazy and you write a tropey story, tropes are racist. They are misogynist. They are ableist. They are all of these things. And so when we talk about tropes being bad, this is why. And yeah, there's so much more we could say about it in the interests of maybe, maybe doing something a little bit positive. Positive, although I have issues with this as well. Can we talk about the current Cerise in just a little bit? <laughs> oh, you think it's positive? I'm, well, I, again, I was, I was I, like, again, nice yeah, I, leave uh, it alone. <laughs> I, yeah, I know, I know. But that's what I want to talk sure. about, like a little bit. But the like, opera, the opera is good. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> but it's just that we've been talking about like the development of the Curtin Cerise <laughs> relationship, so we're seeing them go on a date here. So I did just want to touch base with it and. It's just, it's so hard because I've talked before on the podcast, like, I don't mind Lobdell's writing of Nightcrawler. I think for just Nightcrawler, it's okay. But then you add the way he writes women to it and it becomes what it becomes, right? Like Cerise choking on the lipstick. And then, I mean, this is the art and not Lobdell, but we get, you know, an issue, like an image quite of violence there of her choking and it very spectacularized. Mm -hmm. And uh, just, we've been through a lot of sexual violence recently in the series. So it's just top of mind. And yeah, I don't like the depiction of the current series relationship here, but just on a very subjective, you know, let's do a reparative queer reading of this thing. Kurt applying <laughs> the lipstick to Cerise mm-hmm. and then them having a little conversation about 
performativity and being normal and him being like yeah. normal is overrated and then we got the panel at the bottom of page 14 where he's closing the door with his tail in a better world i like what's going on in that scene again it's me doing a reparative queer reading to make that work because i don't like the way that cerise is infantilized in this exchange yeah. <laughs> it's not good but anyway angie did you have thoughts about it you seemed like you wanted to jump in yeah um, no, I, I'm very much in keeping with what you're saying. I think it's exactly that kind of viral Lubdell effect because Cerise is this like all powerful interstellar warrior with awesome light powers. Um, and Lobdell just uses that to condescend her the same way that Brian condescends mm -hmm. Megan, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to creating an equivalency. Like there's a lot yeah, that Nightcrawler yeah. could learn yeah. from Cerise, but she literally yes. doesn't even get to talk about where she's from or what she's Ooh. done or anything. She's just there to be an idiot so that kurt can have wow. that sense of like masculine mastery over her yes and i yes. hate that uh, and i think davis does much better with that like he still falls mm -hmm. into it a little bit but nowhere near to the same extent yeah yeah definitely i do not disagree with anything there um uh, mike did you have any thoughts about about these kurt cerise scenes before we move to some final <laughs> thoughts i i also keyed in on that i tried to find something that i didn't hate <laughs> um, and I would want to read it again, but I was like, yeah, Knight Errant. And I was like, no, that's not right. I, that can't no. be the right read. Maybe I just wanted to see something happen. But I, I did like that we got the Kurt, some of the Kurt I like in that normal is overrated. And that's the X universe. In my perspective, this idea of what it what it became and, you know, what what it still is, this idea of, hey, being yourself is the most important thing. And I'm going to close this door with my tail. That's great. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, again, I'm, I'm guilty of doing, well, not guilty, but I engage in those types of things because I try and find something useful in every comic. And this one was a little harder. One panel. Because huh? <laughs> I found a panel. That's yeah. good. I did good. I always like how gentle Kurt is, even when he's written poorly in those those quieter moments. I guess. Yeah. yeah, again, I mean, obviously, I would love to see more equivalence between the two and right. more the gender bending kind of going both ways, which we don't get. It's all Kurt. But um, but yeah, Mav, did you have thoughts about that before you move to final thoughts? Nothing positive. How does she even know what <laughs> lipstick? Like, it doesn't even make sense for her to eat lipstick because lipstick's not just one of those things that just happens, right? Like, if she eats something because she finds it in the fridge and, oh, things in yeah, the fridge yeah. food... <laughs> Sure. Uh -huh. But like she's getting ready for a date. She didn't try to eat her clothing. She didn't try to eat the brush. <laughs> why? Like, like we don't know that that didn't happen off panel. Okay, but <laughs> sure, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. If, if, she, if she can eat a brush, then lipstick should be fine. <laughs> like lipstick's just this mushy. Like why would you even try? Where where did you get lipstick from? It didn't bother me as much as most of the rest of the comic. That's my positive. Yeah. I think that's the best that, the best that we can do. Let's do some rapid fire final thoughts and and yeah. leave this one behind, even though we still got another one of the story arc. But um, Andrew, final thought things that you didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to highlight before we close. Uh, yeah, just coming out of like the discussion here that that I thought was pretty amazing. The bannerhead says, um, "Enter the uh, Black Panther," and the words "Enter" and "the" are in a icon in the shape of the African continent. Mm. To me that reflects sort of the worst of black panther when he's treated as this token the african right. superhero whereas when black panther's written well 
it's all about complicating that stereotype and yes. breaking down that sort of singular representation. So I, I kind of find it, I don't know, darkly amusing that the the banner head immediately declares that you're not going to be getting that yeah. in this issue. And yeah. it really lives up to that. Yeah, for, for the last time, everyone, Africa, not a country. Well, and T'Challa doesn't help because he will later say, you know, this was a traditional African uh-huh. reading. Uh-huh. <laughs> there are more countries in Africa than any other continent. Mm-hmm. But, you know, mm-hmm. okay. You got a final thought you want to add, Mav? Yeah. Of all the things that are problematic, this is more just a, huh? Okay, so here's my huh. And it's just my final thought that I knew nobody was going to mention because we, we were going to have way too much other stuff to deal with. How's Rhodey drinking the champagne? Oh, I thought so- about that too. <laughs> yeah. Straw. So, so, <laughs> straw. So, so this is all, pre- so like the entire, the entire character development of Rhodey, the only reason he's in this comic here is so that Megan can discover, well, Megan and, and, and Cap, Captain America, America, I should say, because, you know, the real cap can be like a little confused. <laughs> well, like Brian, like they tried to call Cap, they called, tried to call him Cap as a nickname on like, you know, an issue like I think three or four. And I'm like, no, no, that's not, no one calls him that. They call him Brian. Um, so <laughs> Captain America notices that Iron Man is drinking. And that's weird because Tony Stark's right. an alcoholic and he doesn't drink anymore. And then Megan's talking to him, you know, and she's like, oh, you know, it's nice to see you again. Thus completely blowing the super right secret identity thing that they're keeping for some reason because Megan's an idiot. But like, we've already talked about that. I don't, and I don't think Megan's an idiot. I mean, the comic, Labdell thinks Megan's yeah, an yeah, idiot. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Um, but I don't get why, Um, like, how is Rhodey even drinking in the first place? Like, he's not, this is, the War Machine armor at this point is not nanobots it's just a little like it's a little slit he's just holding this champagne glass and he was apparently going to drink from it (laughs) and and have dinner without removing his helmet because he doesn't want to reveal who like i don't understand how any of this is supposed to work know what it made me think of like and i often do this and i wish it had just been like one time but i always make this mistake i'll do one of those like sheet face masks you know like a moisturizing face mask and i'd be like oh yeah i can like totally have a tea while i'm drinking this even that is impossible you can't your lips are like (laughs) impeded and you try to drink the tea and then you spill it all down the front of your face mask and it's a mess you can't drink a champagne glass with an iron man mask on i I can confirm yeah (laughs) again if he had a straw problem solved i guess no. and then just be like well that was a weird choice but you know <laughs> you should have like a straw that like shoots out from the face mask for just such an occasion mike let's turn to you <laughs> to to try to wrap up this this enjoyable discussion of a very bad comic do you have any final thoughts about about this one two very quick final thoughts this is why comics matter because all of the stuff we've said i think is important in that colonialism you're soaking in it do you know what i mean like white supremacy Mm -hmm. you're soaking in it and it's like here's a goofy little crappily written scott lobdell comic from arguably the darkest the 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 worst era of comics right like just atrociously across the board problematic but they do matter because kids read them and those kids are right soaking in those messages but the other takeaway is that if you have somebody who understands what they've got and what they're doing and why they're doing it and how they're doing it you can do incredibly like it's important work and i'm one of the fo- the like four people that kind of like Tanahasi Coates's run on especially mm. on, on black panther because i think i like game of i like the idea of well, what is the political intrigue taken seriously, written written mm-hmm. this way, right? But that's because I've read the old Killmonger stuff. And mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, that's, yeah. He got thrown off a waterfall 
in in the comics and in the movies, but they're different because they're saying different things. Yeah. And I think yeah. that when I look at really horrifying, horrid, no good, very bad comics, I'm reminded that it's the medium that matters. And we have to take that very, very seriously because if you treat it as throwaway, it doesn't become disposable. It becomes hurtful. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Right. So that's my parting thought is like, Comics are amazing and wonderful, and sometimes they're done poorly. That's my take. That's my take. <laughs> Batwing, snake skin. Is this all you've learned, Morgana, to deal in potions and petty evil? And where have your meddling arts brought the world? To the edge of ruin. I'm worn thin and threadbare. I've tried to guide men or meddled in their affairs as you would have it for far too long. The time has come for me to go. So we will wrap things up there. I think we've managed to make a very enjoyable, as Mike was saying, discussion out of a very bad thing. And I'm always appreciative of that. So thank you so much again, Mike, for helping us survive this comic book. Before we go, we must remind our lovely listeners of your amazing activities. If you would like people to find you online, where can they find you? And what work of yours should they be checking out? You can find me online, uh, Twitter at MBDando or uh, on Instagram at the Dandalorian. Um, <laughs> and feel free to follow me there. Um, if you liked this discussion, <laughs> then I would encourage you to listen to my podcast uh, called Comics School, um, which you can find wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, you can see some of the work that I've been doing if you're uh, ever looking at um, if you're ever, ever up in the New York area and want to go to the Met um, some of the comics work that I've been doing is part of the Very Afrofuturism cool. exhibit that's that's there um, that's curated by some of the folks who were working on the Black Panther yes it's called yesterday before yesterday we could fly so you can check that out yeah and those those are those are things I'm I'm writing about these things I did a chapter in a recently published book called the best at what they do it's an examination of how teachers are represented in comics over time. And it's part of a book called Pop Culture Curriculum Assemble through DO Press. So you can check that out too. Or just email me at mbdando at stcloudstate.edu. I love it. Yeah, I've seen pictures of the exhibition on your social. and It looks amazing. We have a good time. Thank you so much again, Mike. Oh, yes. Thank you. Next, in one week's time, we will be discussing Excalibur number 60, Braddock of the Jungle, in which Brian dresses up as Tarzan and it does not make anything better. It's another doozy, <laughs> but we have another fabulous guest on hand who's going to help us navigate these many new layers of problematicness. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Popcast YouTube channel. As always, if you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week, and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another enriching gripe fest. Thank you, Michael, for making a bad thing better. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thought Form Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. Yeah, seriously, thank you, thank you so much. What a 
what a, I couldn't have imagined a better conversation.